Hello everyone, it's Sarah, and this is Sarah Space yet again. This time I am not with another Sarah, nor a Heidi, or an Alyssa for that matter, I'm back on my own, solo. I have had quite a few thoughts in the last week as to what I wanted to converse about, and recent events have brought me to this particular thought pattern. I would love to talk about ethics or my idea of ethics in the dance world and outside the dance world. And I guess I'm going to start with what has recently transpired and sort of come to my attention. And that's the ethics between studios and I guess that that thought of ownership about certain students and ownership about certain teachers and teachers' thoughts of ownership about certain students, and directors' thoughts about ownership over both, etc. I guess my thoughts, well, I don't guess, <laughs> my thoughts in general are, first of all, that no human being can be owned, nor should they be owned. And I feel that in the past, when human beings have stated that they own others, or have actually legally done so, as to our neighbors in the southern states, it has caused uh, horrendous evils in mankind and humankind. And I don't think we should start perpetuating that again, even on a more, quote unquote, innocent level. So ethically speaking, when we are setting out, let, let me speak from, I don't own my own dance studio, Uh, nor will I ever, and I can actually say the never word there, simply because from a very young age, I actually thought to myself that I really didn't ever want to own my own dance studio. I love the ability to travel uh, around and see and work with more dancers, which I wouldn't have been able to do if I was sort of beholden to one building, uh, albeit filled with beautiful people. I also, I know that my strong suit does not happen to be the ins and outs of public relations, um, business paradigms, accounting. I would want the most, and I'm missing a whole bunch right now, I would want the most amazing assistant for that to deal with all of the sort of behind the scenes paperwork side of things so that I could teach But then I really only ever wanted to teach and keep sort of a a smaller venue um, as far as how big that umbrella of teaching went. So the more I thought about it, I mean, well, I didn't think about it that much, to be honest. I started being asked when I was in my teens and I just unequivocally and quite confidently said, no, I didn't want to own my own dance studio. I'm very grateful other people do because then I can happily work as an independent employee for so many different human beings and enjoy so many amazing, wonderful experiences with so many different young people. So having said that, no, I don't own my own studio. So I am not uh, privy to all of the, I guess, investment, both financially, physically, mentally, spiritually, that goes into creating a student body and their their loyalty as well as I'm not privy to that same same quality and same effort being put towards creating a teacher body 
However, I have been in the business for 37 years and it's given me a lot of time to observe a great deal going on around me. And I can genuinely say that the best directors I have ever worked for understand that they are, they're running a place of learning and sharing and family and cooperation and that there will be mistakes made. There will be people hired that are not the best choices. There will be uh, parents or students brought into the fold that are not the best fit. There will be things said that are not the best things to say and rules made that are not the best things, the best rules to make. And the way that one deals with it with grace and uh, apology and the ability to move on and improve and evolve is how one's testimony is to what they really value behind the running of a studio. I think that there are many, many studios nowadays that are truly, I would say, extremely efficiently well-run businesses. I'm not necessarily feeling the same way about the actual nurturing environment within. And I can say that there are many businesses that are well-run, both from a teacher standpoint, a director standpoint, and a nurturing standpoint. And they are places that I would feel very comfortable working within. I must say that I tend to be an incredibly loyal person. I don't change my mind about people that I love. I don't change my mind about places that I love to be. In fact, I don't change my mind about a lot of things. (laughs) I tend to be pretty painfully consistent in my perspective. Um, I guess those that love that grow so familiar and comforted by that consistency. Those that would wish me to be perhaps a bit more adaptable, such as my husband, do find that annoying at times, and I can appreciate that. It's uh, it's an interesting place to be because I'm the one in the middle of it, and I have to say that there are times where I do wish I had the ability to flex a little more. But no, when my heart sets itself on something, it involves all of me, and I have felt that way about the jobs that I've taken on. I recently had to leave a position teaching for a spiral dance company out in White Rock, Uh, the director being Loretta Ceramic. Uh, I worked there for 25 years. And the only reason I left was because after I had my daughter, I I had made a decision along with my husband that I didn't want to utilize childcare once I had a child. I wanted it to be him or I that was looking after her. So she used to travel all the way out to White Rock from my home in North Port Coquitlam twice a week. And then my husband would have to travel from wherever he was working, which was usually in South Vancouver, all the way out to White Rock to pick her up and take her home to North Port Coquitlam. So my daughter was spending up to, depending on rush hour, up to four hours in the car every day. And that was not cool for me from a safety standpoint, from a just a humanistic standpoint. And it was wearing my husband down. And as I started schooling her, because I homeschool her, it just became less and less viable to uh, have that type of commute and that type of uh, time frame to deal with. So I 
with great heavy heart, I had to say goodbye to a place that I had stuck by and and stuck through, through very hard times um, for 25 years. I, most of my employments, the minimum has been, well, I'm just trying to think, I guess SFU as a sessional was four years. I think most of the other ones come in at around eight and counting. <laughs> um, the ones that would be at eight, uh, probably the decision was made. Actually, I think that one was nine. The decision was made after, again, I had my daughter. And I wanted to cut back on working so many days a week. So I'm saying all this to preface my uh, passionate perspective that will follow in that I am very loyal. And when I was a child and training under Deborah Cameron at Canadian Dance World, I have to say that there were times, especially in my early teens, in which I I was approached by other schools uh, to possibly go there, at least for a summer school and 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 branch out or, as they said, spread my wings and be exposed to maybe more professional training or more push or more just a bigger pool of dancers or a more competitive environment. And not only do I love Deborah Cameron and her integrity and who she is in every fiber of her being, but I was loyal to her and I felt as though it was wrong for me to just walk out because I thought that perhaps the grass was greener on the other side. And that was my own perspective. My parents didn't that feed that to me. She, my ballet teacher, even questioned it at one point and just said that she would have harbor no ill will if I chose to go somewhere else. And I said, no, I don't choose to go somewhere else. And, you know, I don't regret that decision for a minute. And I can only say that oftentimes when I have when I witnessed as a youth, it didn't happen too much back then. I have to admit that people tended to stick with one studio more readily than they do nowadays. But now when I see it, I see people thinking they're going to they're going to have a better place uh, somewhere else. They're going to get more opportunity. They're going to be pushed harder. They're going to compete more. They're going to have more professional solos. They're going to be exposed to certain teachers more often or some such often promise that is given. And quite often something starves. And I feel as though a lot of the time it's that humanity. It's that feeling of steadfast and true. It's that feeling of consistency. It's that feeling of recognizing where the humanity lies in what you're doing. And will you really find all those things? Perhaps. And perhaps it is an excellent decision. And I'm sure it has been proven to be so many times. But I've also, I've also had the opportunity to see the other. And it does sadden me. It saddens me when I see someone leave under the, I guess, sometimes delusion that where they are is just simply not going to take them where they need to go. When I do harbor very strong feelings that where we are is up to us. And, you know, even in the most, I would say, small environment, maybe the, the environment that provides less competition, uh, maybe an environment that has less of a professional setting, it's who you are in that environment that can create you in other environments. Yes, it does create a disadvantage as far as what your exposure level is like. 
perhaps your ability to take on new teachers' advice, uh, comments, and maybe even just guidance is a little slower. Perhaps you are more fearful and less confident in guest situations or in audition situations just simply because you have been so comfortable or nurtured or comforted. But then again, too, oftentimes that is a great place to step forward from. And I I just feel that we should always question deep in our hearts when we're when we're feeling unrest, are we feeling unrest about something that is intractable and permanent and will not change? And is it anything that we can change within ourselves or is it simply impossible? I think that I should also interject here and say that if it's a cruel situation or an abusive situation or a situation in which your freedoms are being taken from you, or you and your parents perhaps feel as though you are being uh, remonstrated unfairly, kept down, kept back. Uh, but but when I say that, I'm also going to just, again, correct myself. When I say kept back, I think some people have a false idea of how quickly things should move in the dance world. Dance is a lifetime of learning. Ballet is a lifetime of seeking perfection that you will never find. But you will work, you will grow, you will fall back, you will work and grow again, you will mature, you will experience more, your artistry will undeniably grow with that exponentially. There, there's so many factors that lend itself to that end product. Yes, there are circumstances which will be flashier, which will provide greater push and maybe even in the moment an appearance of more opportunity but I would examine them very closely and see will you be missing out on something such as the integrity will you be missing out on something such as the individual caring and application of thoughts about who you are as an individual as opposed to a human commodity now this brings me to my other part of this conversation Dancers, families, uh, the families of dancers are not commodities. We don't own our students and directors do not own the students that are registered in their school. And I feel as though there is far too much of that mentality going on nowadays. And I feel as though there that it's almost like a strange bilateral loyalty that goes on so that if an instructor suddenly leaves the studio that they're at and moves somewhere else, uh, a group of dancers will just follow. And sometimes it's one or two or three or four or five. And then suddenly there's a, a great following that that chases after that. And I always think to myself, why are you doing that? Is that because everyone else is doing that? So you think you might be missing out on something? Are you doing that because you've been promised something? Now, let's just go back to another aspect of ethics. If we are talking about ethics in a relationship outside of dance, if you're in a relationship and you go outside that relationship and promise someone something that you realistically at that moment can't give them, such as um, my undying love and my complete and utter commitment and time, which you really shouldn't have available because you're already in a relationship, well, then you're either obfuscating prevaricating or straight out lying and is that someone that you really want to trust to follow into some unknown future or location 
That is a question. I guess that's something I have seen a lot. I have also seen the unfortunate circumstances where a teacher will leave a studio sometimes just because they feel like they need to move on, sometimes because they had a difference with the director that they were previously working for, sometimes uh, maybe because they are feeling restless, most of the time because they do have an ulterior motive of going out on their own. Now, I don't say ulterior motive in a in a mean or malevolent way. I mean, it is an ulterior motive because it's something on the outside that you've been thinking about. And the fact of the matter is, is that Maybe something pushed you to make that decision, which is a huge decision, or maybe you've been thinking about it all along. Okay, so say you have. Does that mean that while you were teaching for that other person, you were cultivating relationships with the students to make them feel as though you were the only one that could offer them what you had? And thereby, if you left and were no longer there, they would be bereft and they would no longer have the chance at the career that they could have if they followed you. If so... I feel like that is underhanded and frankly, really disreputable. And I'm not at all, I don't find that something to support on any level. Uh, It's happened too many times for me to count in the time, those 37 years that I've been teaching. It seemed there was a time about 25 years ago, maybe 25 to 28 years ago that I watched it happen to studio, three different studio owners and their entire senior classes walked out and went to the new location in which, of course, that new location gets to start a dance studio with incredibly adept, senior, mature members and then call them their own, which, again, is not true. <laughs> so, yes, I have I have witnessed this particular behavior in countless occasions, I have to say. And it seems that it's coming up again. I feel that perhaps there are a lot of people out there with a strong sense of how to run a business that they feel would be better than the businesses they're seeing, or perhaps the businesses they're currently working for. But, and not to take anything away from that, because there is such a thing called free enterprise. And if I owned a corner store that uh, you know, was deeply entrenched in a certain neighborhood and had been there for 20 years. And I had the same sort of supplies all the time. And then uh, another corner store opened the block down the way and decided that they were going to or- offer th- things that I didn't have, such as organ- organic produce or um, exotic things from afar. Well, that's their business. That's free enterprise. It would then be up to me to up my game or to fold. And I can't, I mean, I, a block away is... Again, I wouldn't say ethically sound, but it is allowed and it is legal. I think in the dance business, there's something about that that I find beyond unethical. Uh, Staying in a close proximity and opening up another studio with many of the students that you just took or coerced to bring or had follow you from a previous studio that was very close by, simply because... There, the dance community is not that huge, and there's no need to procure students from the same pool. There are thousands of children out there looking for places to dance, and there are thousands of young adults, and there are thousands of adults for that matter. And perhaps you just need to start from the ground up, which would be ethically sound, because then you really are running things the way you want to run things. But then we have this little, I guess, caveat, which is that 
that will not make you money because you have no then guarantee that your students are going to be going anywhere because you're going to be starting from scratch. So that leads me back to me, the ethically sound decisions again. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that you, in life, we can't control other people's reactions, but we certainly can control our own actions as much as possible. So if you are going to go through life not wanting to hurt others and not wanting to make others feel as though they have done something wrong um, and not wanting to make others feel as though they have done you wrong, then open and clear communication is truly the best way to go. This doesn't always prove to be easy. And I can tell you, I've been in many, many situations with many of my peers and many of my directors of the studios that I work for, in which communication is not their strong suit. And I have had to work my way into finding a way to get across either my unhappiness or my feeling of being compromised or my whatever it is that I needed to talk about. In every situation, I can tell you that I have had nothing but incredibly warm feelings about the positive results. And that apart from one or two incidents in which the person I was dealing with was just essentially at a place where they could not take on the information that I was giving them, that they could not take on that particular shift in their thinking and perhaps development in the way they worked, I have to say that all the other ones had incredibly positive outcomes. And I have to say that I appreciate that in most of my work environments, I am given the autonomy and the trust that I am so ethically sound and my loyalty is to the students. So I am left to my own devices to teach the way I like to teach, which is with love and caring and thought and an incredible amount of application physically and personally and individually. So I, I do feel, uh, I feel angry actually when I find out that people have been hurt by a thoughtless, careless, self-involved, self-absorbed, possibly completely self-serving action of someone who doesn't give, shall we say, a proper amount of warning or communication or even examples of provocation for them to have made that that declaration that they, you know, have the right to do what they're doing, which is hurting that other person. And I'm referring to not just in business and not just the dance world, but in general, it is it is a kind of a good way to go through life thinking, would this hurt me? Because if it would, it's quite likely it's hurting this other person. And, and why am I doing this? Is this a conscious action? Is this an unconscious action? Can I change this behavior? I, I also feel that it's so incredibly important to remember the, the non-commodification of these human beings as well. They are living, breathing organisms filled with their own thoughts and dreams and hopes. And on that note, as much as we sometimes look at them and see a future dancer and or see a future teacher or see someone that we can invest our hopes and dreams in ourselves or invest our certainly our efforts and our the benefits of our own education we have to keep in mind that they 
are themselves and it's a free world for them to make their own free choices and to not take it personally if the choices they make are not the ones that we were perhaps encouraging or that we wished for them. I mean, that bleeds into parenting too. And it's a really tough one to do. And I I know that in my own career, I've had a number of situations in which, oh my goodness, do I, did I went above and beyond for certain students and poured shall I say, a lot of personal time and effort and action into creating a world for them to dance in. And in the end, the the ones that I'm thinking of right now did not choose a world of dance. In some cases, it was simply too much for their family to take on, and they chose something that was more family um that more healthy for the family dynamic. In some cases, it was simply too much for them to take on. And in some cases, I feel as though it kind of backfired at me a little bit like that overbearing parent that tries to live vicariously through their child and tells their child exactly how to live their life. Uh, Not that anyone ever treated me uh, in a way that I felt was rude or unjust, but I feel like some people just sort of reached their breaking point. And I genuinely felt a great deal of hurt in those situations. I genuinely felt puzzlement and I learned how to let go. And I learned how to realize that it it does not matter how much I want something for someone, they have to want it themselves. And that goes ethically in every single aspect of life, every single relationship that we have. We can only be there as support, guidance, mentorship, love, caring, maybe a sounding board, but we, if we start coercing, leading, pushing, and forcing people, that resentment's on the other end. And it won't be, it won't be coming from their hearts and thereby they're doing it to please or to uh, get approval or to simply um, step outside themselves and do something for someone else, which in the moment we might feel really good about, but hopefully in retrospect, one would look at that and just say, that is not the type of person I want to be when I'm guiding or in a position of power. I I also feel as though the dance world in particular, business-wise, studio ownership-wise, spends a little, in my personal opinion, too much energy on competition. Competition between the studios, such as who's the best, who, who, um, uh, what am I trying to say here? Who creates the best dancers? Again, that's, I have a problem with that from a ethical perspective because yes, you're the guide. Yes. Maybe you're providing the opportunities. Yes. Maybe you have an unusual voice to teaching. Maybe you have an unusual connection with this particular dancer that gets through and allows them to excel at a greater pace than someone else in a different situation. Or maybe you happen to have an incredibly talented creature on your hands who also has incredible work ethics and works their butt off, which is basically what it takes. Or maybe you have someone that's incredibly obsessed and they're going to work, work, work until they get to a breaking point themselves and can no longer take that on. There are a thousand different ways of looking at it. There are a thousand different ways of, I guess continuing with it. But I think that it might behoove everyone to sort of take a a breath and realize that we're not competing against one another, 
There are competitions in which the dancers all get a chance to take the material that they have practiced and learned and to put it on a stage and to have hopefully impartial, hopefully wise, experienced and articulate uh, judges, I don't even like that word, adjudicators, to voice their opinion and give them some feedback. And of course, there'll be audience members that can also express their own feedback through applause and uh, maybe hoots, uh, whatever the situation calls for. And there can be teachers backstage from different studios that can say, wow, that was really beautiful. It shouldn't then suddenly be this thought process that then kicks into, oh, well, they're, they're producing better dancers than we are. We're going to have to up our ante, or maybe we need to train more hours a week, or maybe we need to, who's their teacher? Maybe we need to get that person at our studio. Because I feel like that mentality, first of all, bleeds into the students. And there's been so many times where I've been backstage in my lifetime and watch these weird, invisible walls go up amongst the dancers. When quite honestly, people, let's be real, it's a small world, the dance world. And if we can't be there for one another, then we only have an audience and our coach who may or may not stick with us our whole lives and our family. Because we usually don't have much time for friends and boyfriends and other social life. So we get more and more narrow in our view. And if we are waiting for the fleeting joy of of the applause and perhaps an amazing review in the paper, then life is not as full as it could be. How about if we're all standing there as, I hate to say it, this sounds so kumbaya, but one great big happy family that does support one another, whether it be with just a, that was beautiful, or, um, hey, how are you? Or just a rub on the back and, and certainly not meant to be fake or lacking integrity, but just reaching out and being human with one another. I have fond memories of being backstage when I guess we only had two competitions back then and they weren't called competitions. They were called festivals, which I do much prefer. And they were an exciting time for me in particular, because coming from such a small town and a rather small school in which I was kind of up there in the level and the age, it was a time to look out and see what was going on around me. And holy smokes, did I have my mind blown so many times with the professionalism, with some of the levels of things that were happening, with some of the group work, with the costuming, with the seriousness that many people took those performance opportunities, and with the ability for so many of my dance peers to perform with ease, in which I've always had such bad stage fright. So I welcomed those moments. And I remember being backstage. And because, again, it's a rather small world, from year to year, say from 14 to 17, you would get to know the people that you would be competing against. If there were only two festivals a year, and you're a certain age, you always compete within two years of your age category, and it would be the same people. And, you know, I guess some people could look at that and say, well, that's not a that's not a great paradigm, because that just provides the same competition over and over again. I looked at it as it is creating a bit of a family. And I have to say that those some some of those wonderful people that I met backstage then are still my dear friends. And many of them I've worked with many of them I've worked for just creating those relationships at a young age, instead of worrying about who's doing what and where they go and, and what they're all about, meant a lot to me. It also meant a lot to me to confront my own 
demons of jealousy and envy when I would see someone who was so much more adept than I, whether I perceived it that way or whether it was genuinely true, I, I would put them both hand in hand. I wouldn't want to make them this distant, this this thing that then got talked about in a gossipy fashion uh, by people around me. I wanted to reach out to them and make them human and become a friend. And I did that. I did that with many of my, shall we say, uh, top competitors so that we were never adversaries. We were always friends. We just happened to be competing against one another. And it was genuinely wonderful. I'm not trying to paint a rosy colored past and say that this this current time or the future is bleak. But I'm saying that I think that culture is possible again if we all spent a little bit more time supporting one another and a little less time working against one another. And certainly creating an environment in in our classrooms and in our schools in which we do make certain studios our quote unquote enemies or the ones to watch for or call them the cheaters or whatever it I just I don't feel comfortable with that. I feel like A, it's a whitewash, it's a generalization. And B, again, we're taking away that freedom of free thought of each student to experience things on their own. They will experience negative things backstage. They will experience people who haven't fully evolved into a higher being of kindness and compassion and sharing, but maybe to people that are a bit more cutthroat, a bit more one-dimensional. And you can be there to support them and help them through that experience, but to then make it a culture of us against them, I think is just, well, we can see it around us all, all over. It's, it's in society so badly right now that the world is literally weeping. It's, we're, we're fragmented, we are fractured, we are splicing off into all these we are better than them or we know more than them. It's the us and the they. And every single time these things have come up in, in humanity, that it's when we have created these great divides and racism, bigotry, uh, sexism, murder, (laughs) genocide, all these horrendous human doings have occurred. And I feel as though I don't want to get heady in my proclamation, but I feel like we need to support our young people to support themselves and take the high road. And to me, that means looking at competition as something that's fun and something that's a learning experience and something that is completely um changeable dynamic it's a dynamic force uh now with these billions of competitions that are out it seems i might be exaggerating maybe not billions but i swear every time i look around me there's some new title of some new competition that's coming out that also usually is made up of a convention of sorts as well and there are quite often three judges in that particular paradigm that's a lot of different opinions. That's a lot of different people watching you dance, which I, I personally, in the long run, think is valuable. I have to say that as a teacher and choreographer, I have sometimes found the lack of constructive commentary and uh, constructive criticism mind-numbingly infuriating. But then again, that is a, that's a one-off, right? We just have to chalk that up as to I'm not going to whitewash that entire organization and say that they clearly don't have a sound hiring process. I'm going to say, well, that wasn't my favorite at that time. And hopefully in the future, 
Maybe even I can begin a dialogue with someone in the organization and express my displeasure with the way things went in the by, from the adjudication perspective. And I guess I probably would think very strongly about that because I'm an adjudicator and I take such pride in my work in providing very thorough, very articulate, v- sorry, I'm not being articulate when I'm trying to say that word, very articulate and very genuine commentary to each dancer that I ever see. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that I'm agreeing with an opinion that may have come before me or will come after me. And I also have very strong opinions about uh, certain things that I like to see. But I will never penalize the dancer for not providing me with those things. They're just providing me with something else. And so I view them as a dancer in that moment, dancing. And how can I help them better dance? Okay, so... I feel that the long and short of that whole beginning about ethics is is that it's hurt me to my core in the last little while to watch some of my peers and dear friends hurting because of choices that people have made around them to do things that I don't think are well thought out and I don't think are thought out with just cause and I don't think are thought out in a way that provides, shall we say, amending and a way for both parties to move forward in a positive direction. I don't think that people should linger at a place that they're unhappy, but I always think that dialogue should take place. I always think that um, a little bit of give and take is an important thing. I know my husband's going to love me saying that. I must admit that compromising My integrity never happens, but compromising is something that I try to do on a daily basis. And I usually do, because again, being so strongly opinionated, there's a lot of things that I don't want to give on. (laughs) But, But in order to be a better person and to perhaps work more cooperatively, I need to. And when I look back on that, I'm proud. And I usually get to benefit from the situation because it allows the arena that I work within to be fuller, um, greater, and more filled with the types of people that I want to work with. And I think that learning is everywhere. And it's sometimes it's in what not to do. And sometimes it's in the what one's done before and taking valuable lessons from that precedent and swearing never to do it again. And I feel like I have certainly done that in my own life. And as far as ethics go, I must admit that I take pride in saying that my professional ethics have been unimpeachable my entire work life, and that when my personal ethics were a little bit more on the dubious side, and I have in my past, in my early 20s, definitely caused hurt to a couple of people that I love dearly as souls and certainly had a long relationship with them. I will always carry that hurt in my heart because it wasn't ethically sound. And I feel like there were different ways to go about that. And I've learned deeply from that. And I can say that I haven't perpetuated that same situation ever again. And learned from watching someone's eyes, you know, when you know you're hurting them. And it's not necessary. It's really not necessary. Sometimes we, again... 
We can only control our own actions and we can't control the reactions of others. So sometimes there are life situations in which the inevitability of someone being on the receiving end of something they don't want and being hurt, it might happen. But I think there are ethically sound ways of going about that. So, yeah, that was a rather impassioned 40 minutes that I needed to speak to. And I really appreciate you listening. And thank you so much for coming to Sarah Space this week. And I look forward to speaking to you all again. Thank you. Good night.